the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for Hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. Morning, glory, America. Bonjour, hi, Canada. Uh, it's Hugh Hewitt on the 13th day of October, 2024. I'm the 12th day of uh, of the month. I'm sorry, my uh, my laryngitis has affected my vision. Uh, I have laryngitis. I feel great. It should be gone by Monday. I'm going to get through today's show. I thank you for your patience. We are at war with Yemen. We struck Yemen 60 times last night using Tomahawk missiles and American aviation, British assets as well involved as Yemeni launch sites were struck throughout the country. And we're in a war. And another war. It's one, by the way, that the Saudis were waging when Joe Biden took office and Joe Biden made them stop. Uh, I want to remind everyone about that. Like President Bumble um, put us in this position. Cut number three from February 4th of 2021. We're also stepping up our diplomacy to end the war in Yemen, a war which has created humanitarian and strategic catastrophe. This war has to end. And to underscore our commitment We are ending all American support for offensive operations in the war in Yemen, including relevant arms sales. All right. So Saudi Arabia got the message. They they stopped. The Houthis got the message. They had won. They waited for the Hamas massacre and they began to strike us. Congressman Michael Waltz, who was on my short list yesterday as a potential secretary of defense under President Trump's second term, said this on Sean Hannity's show last night. Cut number two. No, they're not, Sean. And until tonight, our Navy ship captains did not have the authority to shoot at the missiles being launched at them, to shoot at the actual Houthis uh, shooting at them from shore, even when they detected them. So, look, better late than never. Uh, I'm thrilled to see actually some of the ships, uh, one of them, the USS Florida, uh, taking this action. The White House is finally letting them do so. But let's rewind the clock for a second Our Gulf allies under the Trump administration and now uh, told us the Houthis were terrorists. President Trump designated them terrorists. And in his first month in office, what did Biden do? You know, right after he was done stupidly lifting, uh, uh, right after he was done canceling the Keystone pipeline, he lifted the terrorist designation on the Houthis. Uh, And look at his statement tonight. Iran is not mentioned anywhere. Uh, so, look, I'm glad to see this action better late than never. But as long as Iran, as Morgan said, is flush with cash to rearm and refit the terrorists, this is only going to continue. What do you mean, uh, Michael Waltz, that we took the terrorist designation off? Oh, that's right. Joe Biden did de-designate the Houthis as terrorists. Cut number five, John Kirby at the White House yesterday. 
Yeah, we're actually conducting a review right now uh, on whether that's the, the right course forward. We've talked about that. No decisions made right now. No decision with the President Bumble administration because, of course, we're attacking the country with 60 different sites being hit by American aviation, by Tomahawks, by our British allies, but we're reviewing whether or not they're terrorists. It, it truly is extraordinarily incompetent administration. Meanwhile, the joke of a court case continues at the, quote, International Court of Justice, close quote, where the South African regime is actually charged Israel with genocide after the 10-7 massacre. Now, Israel is putting up a very vigorous defense, of course, because it's absurd. They are the victims, not the aggressors. But that they have to go through this undermines the credibility of this court. And I think if it's like I expect and most people expect Donald Trump will be the nominee, he ought to make getting out of this whole nonsense of international organizations a centerpiece of his campaign. We all know it's a joke. By the way, did you listen to President Biden's statement yesterday about the attacks on Yemen? No, you did not, because he didn't make a statement. He issued a written statement. We've gone to a war. There's no way for him to explain how this is not yet another mile on the trail of tears of 50 years being wrong on foreign policy, as Secretary Gates said memorably. Um, Matt Cottonetti, super guy, very smart guy, wrote a piece for the Washington Free Beacon, hit the hoodies hard and go after their patrons in Iran. They are, of course, a proxy of Iran. Morgan Ortega is our friend Morgan was on also on Hannity last night. Cut number one. President Biden's Iran policy uh, has spectacularly failed, and it's cost uh, so many lives around the Middle East. Because when you look at what happened over the past three years, when the Biden administration did not enforce the sanctions that are on the book, it means billions of dollars, maybe even as much as $90 billion to the Iranians. And they were able to turn around and uh, intern, fund Hamas, uh, fund Hezbollah, fund the Houthis, all of these terror groups, which are now seeking their ultimate goal, Sean, is to chase the United States out of the Middle East. They don't want us in the region. That's why you see, you know, our, our Navy sailors have been sitting ducks uh, from Houthi attacks. You see over 30 Americans, 33 Americans that were killed by Hamas terrorist attacks. And let's not forget Hezbollah. So Hezbollah is in Lebanon. It's in the north of Israel. This is a very sophisticated terror organization, Sean. It's been reported that there are sleeper cell agents from Hezbollah in the United States. They have proxies around Latin America will remember their attacks in Argentina and other places for many years. And of course, we can't forget the Beirut attacks. Uh, so Hezbollah well, has it's a terror group that has long roots and long capability to attack and kill Americans. Now, I did not mention Morgan Ortegas in my column yesterday in Fox News, the fantasy draft for the second term of President Trump. Uh, the obvious thing is she should be the White House spokesperson where I put down Guy Benson, Mary Catherine Ham hang, uh, sharing that job. But I think she'll actually get line authority at the Department of State, maybe as undersecretary, maybe as the USAID administrator, but she's one of the people coming in. Second big story is Iowa. Do you know the ratings for the the competing events two nights ago? We had on CNN, Dana Bash, Jake Tapper hosted Ron DeSantis versus Nikki Haley. And on Fox, it was Martha McCollum and Brett Baer with Donald Trump. The Fox News Channel audience was 4.3 million viewers. Now, the debate I moderated with NBC had 7 million viewers. So President Trump debate had uh, President Trump Town Health had 4.3 million. The CNN debate, which was live at the same time, 
had under 2.6 million. So 7 million on NBC a month ago, 4.3 million on Fox two nights ago, 2.6 million on Nielsen with a debate. Why is that? I think DeSantis and Haley are very good TV. I don't think Republicans are going to watch CNN do anything unless they put a conservative, a real conservative. They got some on the panel. And I like Jake and Dana. I think they are great, but they are not Republicans. They don't know how we would ask it. For example, uh, the Wall Street Journal this morning has Trump's hold on rural America is key to his resilience. It shows him far ahead in Iowa. There's also a story in the Wall Street Journal this morning about the Haley momentum, which is really which is real. Quote, there's no question. Haley benefits. And what was thought of as a President Trump slam dunk here in New Hampshire is now a toss up, said Republican State Representative Bill Boyd, who had been undecided on his own vote between Christie and Haley. Haley supporters have long thought if she could make a credible showing in Iowa, even if she doesn't win, she could be favored by the calendar that follows with hospitable terrain coming next in New Hampshire and then Haley's home state of South Carolina voting fourth in the process. Nevada's in between. A Suffolk poll released Thursday suggested that such a pathway could materialize as it showed Haley edging out DeSantis for second place in Iowa, 20 percent to 13 percent, but well behind Trump's 54 percent. The race is definitely not over, said former Republican Senator Judd Gregg of New Hampshire, a Haley backer. One of, look, really the only viable candidate right now is, other than former President Trump, is Nikki Haley. I don't think, I think the DeSantis collapse is pretty complete. But I don't know anything. They're on the ground. There's going to be a blizzard. It's going to be, uh, not a blizzard, a, a deep, deep chill. Beginning tomorrow and lasting through Wednesday or Thursday in Iowa. Really cold. I don't know who's going to show up. We don't know about Iowa. But Nikki has a chance. Nikki Haley has a chance in New Hampshire. But Donald Trump is very strong in South Carolina with Governor McMaster, who's friendly, obviously, with his predecessor, Governor Haley. But McMaster is all Trump. And upcountry, where I'm talking to you right now, you're all Trump. So I don't know what's going to happen. I do know this. U.S. inflation, I said this as we were going off the air yesterday, 3.4% for December. It's going up. It's going up. Iran, not the Houthis, Iran seized a golf, uh, a tanker in the Gulf of Oman. Meanwhile, the Washington Post reports the Chinese People's Liberation Army Navy is mapping the Indian Ocean for submarine warfare and... Right-wing pressure on Mike Johnson, the speaker who was on this week, to abandon the spending deal is rising. And finally, and I'll talk about this when I come back, immigration fear heats up. Trump-Haley clash dominates GOP and spending. There has got to be a border deal, if any. It's got to have 900 miles of the wall, appropriated money for it, authorization to commence it and immediately and finish it by the end of the calendar year 2023. And if that's not in it, it's dead, dead, dead. Mickey Haley tops Ron DeSantis for the first time in an Iowa poll, according to the Washington Post. But even with the Christie exit, it looks like Donald Trump's primary to lose. I'll be right back, America. Stay- Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Sunny Bunch is coming up. You're going to have to talk most of the next segment. I'll also have Ben Dominich, Sarah Bedford today. Team Matt Spaulding ahead. Let me read for you what I posted this morning, because we're coming down to short strokes in the Senate negotiations, led by Senator James Lankford and Senator Tom Tillis of Oklahoma and North Carolina, respectively, and Democrats. House Republicans have weighed in, Speaker Johnson on this show and other way. If there is no wall, there is no deal. What I wrote on X this morning, 
Reports of the ongoing negotiations, by the way, those reports are at CBS and elsewhere, about reform to immigration parole authority, asylum and spending on the Border Patrol and return flights continue between the Senate GOP and the president. Senator Lakeford and Senator Tom Tillis, the lead negotiators, know, as does Speaker Leader McConnell, that the bill, if it ever emerges, will fail in the House, if not the Senate, unless it provides for the completion of the 900 miles of real wall within the year, with the money appropriated and the, quote, notwithstanding any other law or treaty with any sovereign tribe of Native American language included. The law must be all signal and no noise, and the biggest signal is the wall. Indeed, it is the only signal that gets received by the people who are traveling thousands of miles on foot to get here. Yes, tunnels can be dug under the wall. Yes, some temporary breaches can be cut in the wall that have to be repaired on an ongoing basis. And yes, other measures are crucial, such as the asylum change, the return flights, more border patrol. But, 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 finishing the wall is necessary, if not sufficient provision. All right, it's a necessary, if not sufficient provision. And not a head fake or a promise of building it over three or five years. We know what's that, that has got us before. We know what that does. We know that that is never, ever delivered. So, eight million people have crossed our national border over the last three years. All right, eight million people. But it's got to be done. All right. And it's got to be done this year, this fiscal year. It's got to be done by the Army Corps of Engineers with the National Environmental Policy Act, the Endangered Species Act, the Clean Water Act, treaties with the tribes all explicitly overridden just as comp- and, with, and with just compensation paid to the landowners whose property has got to be condemned. We cannot keep doing this. Tweaks won't work. Don't bring us anything else or it's just dead. I know it's linked to Ukraine funding. I support that. Of course, I support funding for Israel. I support a secure border. And what we do with the now 20 million illegals in the United States is up for grabs other than voting. I'm very, very lenient on that. We need the population growth. We are a nation of immigrants. We just can't have uncontrolled immigration. And that's what we've had for three, eight million people. It has to stop. The only way to stop is to signal resolve. You've got to tell people no wall, no bill. And you've got to say it again and again and again. And I will I will lead the fight. I will be here. I've done it three times already. I'm one of the Republicans who, who's conservative but want to support a broad-based regularization of people in the country who are not violent. Not the right to vote, no path to citizenship, no having to go back. Let's be realists. Uh, obviously, deport criminals and, and make sure they do time before they go. Build more detention centers. And catch and there's lots to do. But the wall is the wall is the wall. No wall, no bill. I think any senator who votes for it is dead. I think any House member who votes for it gets primary if there's no wall. If they put the wall in it, they can fund Ukraine. If they put the wall in it, they can get aid to the states that have been overwhelmed besides the border states, provided the border states get money, too. They can put a lot of stuff into it. I want to play Nikki Haley from Fox and Friends yesterday, cut number 11. 
Well, I think, look, we felt good about the debate last night. There have been lots of lies floating around. It's easier for us to put a website up and go and show that the fact checkers have all said that he's lying on dozens of things. So we put it on a website so we could deal with it. But what I can tell you now is our goal is to be strong in Iowa. It, you know, we're going to move it to a two-person race when we get to New Hampshire. We're going to get stronger when it's in South Carolina. And we're going to finish it. And this is very much an open race. This is very much something that's going to happen. I mean, Trump didn't show up on the debate stage. That's unfortunate. He's got a lot of things to answer for. And, you know, just to do a town hall where you can answer questions easily is one thing. To get on a debate mm -hmm. stage and have to take the hard questions is something very different. But, you know, the people are excited. They're ready. They're making their decisions. We can feel it. Um, and so, look, we're going to continue to do everything we can to fight for every Iowan's vote all the way until the end. And then we're headed to New Hampshire and we're looking for a good night in New Hampshire as well. Now, that is the bank shot. She needs to beat DeSantis, come in second. There used to be three tickets out of Iowa. They're now two, Trump and somebody else. And then she's got to win New Hampshire and South Carolina to have any chance. That's the only path that might exist. We'll see. Governor Ambassador Haley is always welcome here, Governor. DeSantis is always welcome here. Former President Trump is always welcome here. We are, I'm just being objective. I just look at the numbers. She did surge over the last week. Governor Christie dropping out certainly helps her more than it helps Donald Trump picks up about 15%. Chris Christie told me that on this show one week ago. 15% uh, of the people who are going to vote for Christie are going to vote for Donald Trump now. But it looked like 55% of the people who are going to vote for Donald Trump are going to vote for Nikki Haley now. And the rest are going to vote for Ron DeSantis. Now, Vivek is not in a factory. They're not he should just go away. Because uh, he's obscuring the real Trump vote. Because most Vivek supporters are Trump supporters. I am amazed that 30% of the Republican electorate under the age, excuse me, half of the Republican electorate under the age of 30 support Donald Trump. We have to figure out why that is. Good morning, Glory America. Bonjour, hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt. I have laryngitis, but luckily Ben Dominich doesn't. He is editor-at-large for The Spectator, Fox News contributor extraordinaire. Hello, Ben. Good morning, Hugh. Good to be with you as always. Ben, I would like you to comment on the Wall Street Journal story this morning. It says Nikki Haley is having a surge, she's having a moment in both Iowa and New Hampshire. But Donald Trump's grip on rural America remains tight. He remains very far ahead in Iowa, ahead in New Hampshire with the surge happening. And so the only thing I, thing I think is viable is for Haley to finish second, uh, other than a Trump win, which I think is almost inevitable, for Haley to finish second in Iowa, win in New Hampshire, and somehow get herself to the top of South Carolina. So there is a path. I just think it's down to that. Agree or disagree? Uh, I do agree with it. But I, I'd also add one more point, which is that, you know, keep in mind when people reference the fact that Donald Trump lost in Iowa before and that we've seen, you know, these surges from other candidates who didn't ultimately win the nomination uh, in recent years, uh, several the times in a row, you know, in 08 and 12 and 16 in Iowa. That was a situation where it was the rural conservative voter uh, essentially rebelling against what the suburbanites wanted in the party. Now the situation is reversed. DeSantis and Haley are basically duking it out over those uh, upper educated uh, suburbanites. And that's something that's a different situation than what we've seen before. Donald Trump's grip is on those conservative rural voters. And I don't think that's going to be possible to overcome. In New Hampshire, obviously, the situation is much different. You have a, a, a more uh, of a college educated upper class electorate. It's also one of the most secular states in the, uh, in the country uh, by many measures, including Pew. And it's something that I think makes her a much more viable candidate there. 
But then you go to South Carolina, and I think that you could see the same situation play out, where Donald Trump has more of that conservative rural support, uh, and Nikki Haley is, is left with essentially a smaller portion of the Republican electorate. Now, I want to read something to you. John Ellis puts out news items every morning. It's the only substack that I pay for, and it's because Ellis Items gets everything I need to read. And he quotes Peggy Noonan's column, which I haven't read at length yet, which the part he quotes in news items is this. It's by Peggy. Deep down, a lot of hardcore Trump supporters and many not so hardcore think it's all over. They love America truly and deeply, but think the glue that held us together is gone. Religion and Main Street are shrinking, Main Street are shrinking into the past, and in a right aid, everything's locked up. School shootings, mass shootings, nobody's safe. Men and girls, locker rooms, race obsessions, a national debt will never control. China, Russia, nukes, and cooked up plagues. If they decide to do a mass cyber attack and take out our electricity for months, we'll never get through it. Once, we would. I'm always struck, Peggy continues, by how many jolly, kind, cheerful, constructive Americans hold this sense of impending doom in their hearts and go cheerfully through each day anyway. That would be the Christians. But they figure if we're at the end times, he's the perfect former President Trump end times president. What do you make of that, Ben Dominich? Well, you know, it's something that I hear a lot from a lot of my friends who don't work within the world of politics, including, you know, a lot of people who are small business owners and people in uh, my neighborhood who uh, who I talk to regularly about these kinds of things. And I, I think that that is an accurate assessment of a lot of people's attitude. At the same time, I do think that there is a bit of a generational divide there, uh, one where, you know, the younger you are, the, especially if you're if you're from kind of the elder millennial young extra portion of the generations, uh, I think that those people having lived through as much strife as they have over the past 25 years or so, uh, basically from 9-11 onward, uh, you have actually a little bit more of an optimistic, hopeful attitude that once this current generation of leadership is absent from the stage, meaning on the Democratic side, you know, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Joe Biden and the rest, that there is actually an opportunity to right the ship. But a lot of them have the attitude of until that happens, you know, there's nothing that we can really do except make a, you know, an extreme choice, uh, you know, perhaps uh, uh, one that is justified uh, by ideology or by what they view as, as a victimhood, a martyrdom for the deep state in terms of backing Donald Trump. But I do think that there is this kind of glimmer of once we get past this moment, once we have people who are capable of, you know, uh, finding their car, finding a podium, you know, when they're supposed to be giving a speech, uh, things might be able to be restored stored at some point in the future. You know, I have just posted for you, Ben, so you can find it easy over on X on my site, The Fragility of Civil Society, written by Richard McKenzie, one of the best economists in America, Hayek student, um, won every award in the world, written lots of books, and The Fragility of Society is based on how quickly order can collapse. And of course, if you live in Southern California, you see that a lot. And the, the jibe that Peggy got in about the Rite Aid drugstores yeah. People can't avoid that. And, and inflation went up 3.4% yesterday, and we had someone, a Biden administration official, saying it's getting cheaper to buy a house. It, it did for like a week. <laughs> it's, they're not living in the real world. No, they, they are not living in the real world. And there's so many people who are actually who are trapped in their houses who would like to be able to to be more mobile, to move to uh, a, you know, a different and a better economic climate, but they're, uh, they're stuck in it because they bought it such a high rate that they can't really afford uh, to buy a different place and move their family. And that's something that I think is, is a true problem that a lot of Americans are facing that nobody's really talking about. It, it just, you know, it, the degree to which this White House is out of touch, it just amazes me, Hugh, that they get away with it. But, you know, the, the truth is, I think that they are the most 
the, they have they are in the thickest bubble of any White House that we have ever seen in terms of the lack of questions, the lack of basic questions delivered to him. And when you're taking you know questions from the likes of Conan O'Brien, uh, you know uh, from you know taking questions from Ryan Seacrest. Then you can get away with that. Even even those interviews, though, uh, were ones that really did not go well for the president, and that tells you something. Uh, ben, we we're at war today with Yemen. Yep. We weren't yesterday. This is the first time in my memory. Correct me if I'm wrong. That we've gone to war without a presidential announcement on television, instead of written statement. Am I right about that? Uh, I believe that you are correct. I mean, you could you could uh, you know cut some uh, some uh, split some hairs here or there, but I think that you are correct about that. And in this situation, I think that there are very few Americans who could explain uh, what's going on there. Now, of course, what you understand and, and uh, what we all know is that you know this is essentially about ten percent of the of the global traffic in terms of trade goes through uh, the Red Sea, and you have about twenty percent of the container traffic. It's a a critical uh, you know situation in terms of trying to maintain the peace and security of shipping lanes that matter to people all around the world. It's why we have, uh, you know, our allies, you know, assisting us in this as well. But the potential for this to break into a wider conflict in the Middle East, uh, especially given how many hot-button things are happening there at the same time, is huge. And to not hear from the commander-in-chief on this at this moment uh, cannot make anyone feel encouraged, particularly as it comes in the wake of this horrendous Lloyd Austin story, which seems to keep getting worse every time we get a new detail about it. And this brings me to the debate. One of the most astonishing things this week is that Donald Trump did a one-on-one with uh, Martha McCollum and Brett Baer, I should say a two-on-one, for an hour. He had 4.2 or 3 million people watch. Jake Tapper, Dan and Bash had a debate between Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. They had 2.5 million people. Uh, the NBC debate I moderated along with Lester Holt and Kristen had 7 million. They didn't talk at length in detail about the fact of what has gone on in the middle. We're on the, it's like not talking about yeah. Pearl Harbor if you knew Pearl Harbor was around the corner. Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And I think that it's one of these situations where, you know, we, we need to understand. We don't want a repeat of the scenarios that we've seen happen in prior presidential elections where the biggest questions that needed to be put in front of people weren't put in front of them uh, because of the vagaries of the debate schedule and the choices that the moderators made and the like. You know, I mean, one of the reasons that this it was so uh, horrible, I think, last time around, uh, that you had that scandal um, with the, the host from then from C-SPAN, uh, you know, who uh, ended up, you know, leading to, along with the COVID diagnosis uh, for, uh, for, for President Trump, uh, to lead to a canceled foreign policy debate. We never had a conversation about I know. all these different things. And, and I, I keep going. I like Dana. I like Jake. If they put Ben Dominich on that panel, I'll watch it. A lot of conservatives are not going to watch those two people ask questions. And they didn't ask this. Last question, Ben. I've been talking with senators off the record. They're closing in on a deal with Democrats on the border. It does not have 900 miles of wall in it. And I tell them point blank, unless it's notwithstanding any other law language, appropriated and authorized and built by the Army Corps of Engineers, including Indian land, by the end of this year, I'm opposed to this bill. They got to have it. It's got the fence is the signal, not the noise. And yeah. it's not about going under it, around it or cutting a hole. In. It's about the signal. I, I just can't support anything without it. What do you think? Well, I think that the, the reason that this became such a central part of this debate, Hugh, as you know, is that it is a binary. Either it exists or it doesn't. Yep. And that's what people want to know. They want to know that this exists. And then we can deal with the other questions involved. But until that exists, until that is agreed to, 
I just don't think that there's any point in continuing the charade uh, that we are dealing seriously with any of these problems. Uh, and, and unfortunately, in Washington, you can get away with playing charades for a period. Well, what, I mean, this is the fourth time, Ben, on my show. Yeah. I've been on the air 24 years. Fourth time Republicans have tried a comprehensive deal, and they never get it. It is the binary. If there's no wall, there's no deal, and it won't make it through the House. Am I right about that? I think you definitely are right about that at this moment. Uh, ben Dominich, follow him on X at B Dominich. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Sarah C. Bedford is the senior investigations reporter for the Washington Examiner. Good morning, Sarah. Good Friday to you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I've got laryngitis, so I'm going to let you kind of explain to us all about Fannie Wills, Willis and what is melting down in Georgia because I think it's going to add to the um, the conclusion of the American people, this is a sham trial. Yeah, it's become kind of a mess down there in this prosecution. And we learned this week that a special prosecutor, the district attorney, Fannie Willis, had hired to, to help lead the case in Georgia. She may have had an inappropriate personal relationship with this man, Nathan Wade. And the fact that she hired him in the first place had raised eyebrows months ago when the case began. She brought this indictment in August of last year. She brought on this prosecutor and he was not it was not a racketeering prosecutor. He was actually really not even a felony prosecutor at all. He didn't have a lot of courtroom experience in that regard. So he was an odd choice to begin with. He's pocketed more than $650,000 of taxpayer money and used that money allegedly, according to divorce proceedings from this man's now ex-wife, used that money to fund trips and, and personal purchases related to this inappropriate relationship with the prosecutor. So this all has the potential to really undermine the credibility of a prosecution that a lot of observers already thought was was flimsy to begin with. Why did Fannie Willis go to the White House? That is a question that neither the White House nor Fannie Willis have answered so far. But, yeah, again, according to these billing records that are in these new filings from this is coming from one of Trump's co-defendants in this RICO case. There were meetings that took place with the White House counsel and potentially another set of unnamed White House staffers. That would be a big revelation because this prosecution has been consistently described as independent of political inference that that Fannie Willis, although she is an elected Democrat, is acting as an unbiased prosecutor here to have coordination with the White House ahead of this case being brought. The meetings happened in the lead up to the indictment when the grand jury was in panels, but before the charges were handed down. That would be a really big deal. It would, again, be a blow against the credibility of the prosecution. Now, Sarah Bedford, I know you're watching, you're a reporter and you're on the legal side and on the investigation side, but you're watching politics. Do you think all of the lawsuits have helped President Trump or hurt former President Trump in his quest to get the nomination again? Oh, I think unquestionably it's helped him. It's reinforced this perception that he is being persecuted by his enemies, by the deep state or whatever you want to call it. And even a uh, uh, someone who was inclined to disagree with that during his presidency that who just you know wanted Trump to stop complaining they're not really coming after you even a, a casual observer would have to sort of concede the point that they are coming after Donald Trump at right now he's being proven right after years potentially of crying wolf and i think that's that's really helped him i think it helps push those marginal voters into his camp it's been 7 years since director comey director brennan 
and Director Clapper ambushed him when he was president-elect. And it's still going on. Every day it goes on. Let me close with Hunter Biden. You're the Hunter Biden expert. Any whisper of the Foreign Agents Registration Act violation, which is it's right in front of us. He represented Ukrainian, Chinese, and Romanian companies. That's why he's getting tax evasion charges. He had to have had either filed with FARA or violated FARA. What is it? Well, it's, it's you know, potentially one of them, but the special counsel has not yet brought that part of the investigation. The IRS whistleblowers, when they spoke to Congress, had said that part of the investigation was significantly hampered by actions of the prosecutors in the Delaware U.S. Attorney's Office. It's been interesting because this week, one of Verisma's lawyers filed retroactively for a fair disclosure for work that he'd done seven years ago. And oh, so it really my. raises the question... Why are these people who were involved with Burisma, this is the third lobbyist who was involved in Burisma at the time filing retroactively, why are they allowed to file their disclosures years after the fact? But Trump associates went to jail uh, even after offering to file retroactively. That wasn't on the table, an option from the DOJ. Now uh, it's clear that the DOJ is interested, at least nominally, in this fair disclosure issue because they're, they're pressuring people who were involved to register, but Hunter Biden so far isn't one of them. Last question on the Hill. The immigration deal is in the throes of either ending or coming out. Uh, Ben Dominic said at the top of the hour, I agree. If there is no 900 miles of wall being built by the Army Corps of Engineers this year, fully authorized, fully appropriated and fully underway, notwithstanding any of the law, the bill, the deal is dead. Where is it? And is the wall in the deal? It is still in limbo. Uh, I think a wall is is hard for a lot of Democrats to swallow, as are the more meaningful changes that need to happen to the parole system and potentially to the asylum system. But, you know, I think even if a bipartisan deal emerges, there are hardline Republicans in the House in particular that just would find any sort of effort to give Biden a, a win here or to give Biden something to be able to campaign on that said he's addressed this is going to be a hard pill to swallow. No matter right, what you know, I will be for what's right for America. And I think most conservatives, if they put the wall in and it's real, it's not a head fake like the old wall. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll be all over it, all for it. I'm sure it'll sail through if the wall is in it. If it doesn't, I think it dies. Sarah C. Bedford, thank you. You have a great weekend and a very cold beltway, I understand. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Voice challenged but aided by Sonny Bunch, official movie critic of the Hugh Hewitt Show. He is, of course, co-host of 
across the movie aisle, podcast you want to listen to, and the bulwark goes to the movies. Take it away, Sonny, because I can't talk. Yeah, Hugh, you uh, you sound like you need to go sit in the movie theater for a little while. Just Great to, plan. Relax for a bit. Great plan. Uh, so there are a couple, couple, couple new movies out, uh, or newish movies out. Uh, I'll, I'll start with the oldest one first, uh, The Boys in the Boats, uh, which came out right around Christmas, actually, and I, I was finally able to get to get out to see it this week. Uh, and it's pretty great. It's a, it's a very old-fashioned, straightforward, uh, underdog sports movie. Uh, basically, it's, it's basically Rudy, but with crew, you know. the And it's true. Movie. It's we could, true. You call it. And it's a true story. It's based on a it's it's um, based on a true story about a uh, the the JV uh, crew team at the University of Washington in 1936 that uh, turned out to be one of the the best assembled crew teams of all time. Uh, they go on to the 1936 Summer Olympic Games in Berlin, uh, which is you know best known as. Uh, the Nazi games, Jesse Owens shows up and wins, wins a bunch of golds and, you know, really, really sticks it to Hitler. Uh, but th- these guys were there too. They also, uh, spoiler, uh, did, did well at the Olympics. And um, uh, this movie is kind of all about how they got there. Like I said, so it's, it's, it's like uh, the, the, the football movie Rudy, which is, of course, about a young man trying to get his way uh, onto the Notre Dame football team. Uh, by crew, I, I joked on Twitter that it should be called Crudy because yeah. uh, you can get it. Uh, it's funny. It's play on play on words. But the uh, but the uh, it's it's very again. It's it's just a, it's a very good old fashioned wholesome, almost almost surprisingly wholesome uh, movie. There's no there there's no uh, um, cynicism here. It is a it's a pretty straightforward uh, movie. It's directed by George Clooney. Uh, which uh, is I was a little bit surprised by by how much I liked it because usually I, I find his his directorial efforts kind of eh, you know I, I could take him or leave him um, but this was this was quite good uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit it had uh, it had a bit of the Hoosiers feel to it to me Sonny I don't know if you're a Hoosiers fan from 1986 but it it's a underdog sports story and Americans love underdog sports story if they're well made. Yes, yes, totally Hoosiers. I mean, again, you know, there, there's just, there's a uh, there's an element of of class and money here, right? You know, the the kids at the University of Washington are uh, not the uh, the well off Harvard Yale uh, kids back east, right? Who who are expected to win all of these things, who are who are born in a in a in a boat as uh, the the coach who's played by Joel Edgerton. Uh, says, um, uh, I, I again, I, I can't recommend uh, this movie enough. Uh, it's it's uh, it's quite entertaining. It's quite good. It's a, it's a, just a straightforward underdog story. If you like that sort of thing, if you like Hoosiers, if you like Rudy, um, you will you will enjoy this. Movie. No, well, I, I agree a hundred percent. I would I would like to know whether or not the fetching Mrs. Hewitt will enjoy the Beekeeper. I most certainly will. <laughs> See, this is a hard uh, question for me to answer here because it is definitely a uh, it, it's a guy's movie. I'm going to put it that way. A, a friend of mine uh, joked on on Twitter that uh, you know he was seeing a different movie and a trailer for The Beekeeper came, and almost simultaneously his wife said, "Oh my god, that looks horrible!" 
And he said, oh, my God, that looks amazing. Huh. Uh, and I think they're both right. They're both kind of right uh, in the sense that I, I feel like this is a very, very much a guy's movie. If you like Jason Statham action movies, if you like the era of, uh, you know, action films that was dominated by Sylvester Stallone and Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know, the kind of high concept uh, pretty straightforward, good guy, beats up bad guys who deserve it uh, sort of movies, you're going to like this. So the, the, the setup here is very simple. The setup here is very simple. Uh, Jason Statham plays uh, a man named Mr. Clay uh, who has retired from uh, whatever line of work he was in. He now raises bees. He's a beekeeper. He's literally a beekeeper. He keeps bees. Uh, and uh, as the as the film begins, he uh, the the woman who has rented him space to raise his bees to keep his bees on her farm uh, has all of her money stolen by fish fish scam artists. Uh, they take all her money and she kills herself because she's you know so uh, she's so embarrassed and depressed and you know uh, has has lost it all. Um, and he vows revenge on her behalf and starts uh, – uh, it, it, it's hard to think of a more fitting target for the rage of a Jason Statham type, type than the uh, fishers out there who steal from the elderly, right? I mean, this is a real problem. This is a real problem. Oh, it's enormous. I met with the head uh, of the Department of Justice Task Force on this four years ago. Senior fraud is overwhelming the country. It's it's an enormous enormous problem, uh, and you know it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to fight because so much of it is based overseas, so much of it is you know hard to trace. Um, once the money is gone, it's just gone. You know it's it's a, it's a real problem, uh, and that is one reason why the beekeeper is so cathartic because this Mr. Clay fellow, who it turns out is part of a secret government program called the beekeepers. Uh, they are they are there to bring the hive back into balance, you see, Hugh, after uh, something something goes awry, after society is thrown out of balance. Uh, so he uh, is a, um, you know, he, he, imagine like SEAL Team 6 by way of, uh, you know, Green Berets by way of uh, all, he's all of them put together. He's the but best. But it's, it's an interesting time to return, Sonny. I don't know if you listen to the commentary podcast, but J-Pod is recommending a book along with, I think, maybe Abe and, and, and Matt about the great American action hero movies of the 80s and the 90s. And uh, Jason Statham is in there. In fact, do you remember the movie Predator versus Alien? I'm waiting for Jason sure. Statham versus Liam Neeson. You know, if they could be, if one of them only comes out alive, or maybe John Wick versus Stallone. You know, what, you know something like that. But yeah. we, we've been, this, this genre has been gone for a while. John Wick well, has know, been there, but that's not that's John Wick isn't real. Well, John Wick, yeah, John Wick, John Wick is a slightly different thing. It's funny; a few people have compared this to John Wick. They've they've called it a John Wick clone, and it's not a John Wick clone. What it is really um, is a, it's a, it's more of a uh, callback or a throwback to the uh, social breakdown films of the 1970s. This is more this this has this movie yes. has more in common with Dirty Harry or uh, Death Wish than, than it does uh, something like John Wick, because it is very much a movie about the inability of the, the system, the inability of uh, the police and, and federal officials to keep people safe, basically. I mean, there's, and, there's, and it's there's, not there's, the King's Men either, in, in that I don't believe it invents uh, 
super weapons and, you know, the right. Kingsman just goes a level above. This is supposed to be closer to reality, right? Right, right, right. And it's definitely, and it's definitely, yes, yes. So it's, it's it, it, again, it, it really calls to mind, um, you know, the, the, the 1980s kind of high concept. It sounds like the equalizer. Uh, there's, a, there's a little equalizer to it. There's a little equalizer to it for sure. Um, but like, I, again, I, the movies, the movies I thought of most while I was watching it were, uh, the the Dirty Harry movies, uh, the Death Wish movies. There's there's a line in this film, an FBI agent, you know, says to another one who is harshly interrogating some uh, some some bad scam artist, you know, once you're done violating his civil rights, ma'am. Again, there's this whole vibe of like the the government cannot protect you uh, from the the people who are out there. They are too hamstrung by rules and regulations. Uh, these, uh, the, the bad guys are too clever and, and too able to get away with things. We need somebody who can work outside the system. To, the additional to benefit of being true. I have a question, Sonny. What do you think about having just watched the Golden Globes uh, and looking forward to Oscar season? And I'd like your take if you have a take on those nonsense awards. How about having Jason Statham host these things and getting them done in a half an hour? <laughs> Well, he would. He's he's pretty laconic, so you know it would be. Uh, it, it would. It could be pretty quick. He Does he age? Have I have no idea how old this guy is, but it seems like he's been making this movie for twenty, thirty years. Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny. You think back to, the, boy, you know, there was Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Exactly. His first, his first real uh, big hit, but his first. You know, his first action movie like this is probably what the Transporter. Well, and isn't Snatch before Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels? No, it was Lock, Stock first, and then Snatch. Okay, um, and then the Transporter comes out uh, the same year as Snatch, or maybe a year after uh, two thousand one, two thousand two, something like that. Um, so you know, so it's that, been thirty years, and he's done the Stallone movies where the old guys get together. I mean, he just yeah, he, he just it's the same character, and it's he's good at it. It, it, just tell me this. I will get what I'm expecting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, here's this is this is not this is not a an overly complicated film. If you're looking for a movie where Jason Statham goes up and beats up bad guys who deserve it in, you know, interesting and amusing ways, uh, you're going to enjoy you're going to have a great time with this movie. That's, right, that, I need a quick recommend a on the Iron Claw. Because some people have told me I need to see it. I have absolutely no inclination to see it. It's it's very, very good. It's very, very good. I, I uh, described it as a, a male weepy. It is very, um, it's, it's very melodramatic. So it's about this family of wrestlers in Texas who, uh, who have this family curse, you know, this so-called family curse. And it's, it's kind of all about how they, uh, I, I recommend it strongly. I like it a lot. Okay, so, Sonny, we're, we're past the Golden Globes. We're into Oscar season, sort of. Who's going to win Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress? Boy, I don't know. Uh, the the Best Picture is probably going to be Oppenheimer. I would say that's still the favorite. Um, uh, the Best Actor, I, I think right now it's kind of a coin toss between Paul Giamatti and the Holdovers and Killian Murphy and... Um, uh, Oppenheimer. Uh, I think Best Actress is pretty well locked up. For, I think Paul uh, Giamatti really locked it up by going to In and Out Burger the night of the Golden Globes. Well, he definitely yeah. So he he has a he has the 
it, Killian Murphy is, gives the best performance in the best movie of the year, but uh, Paul Giamatti gives a, a very, very good performance in a movie that is liked by a lot of people, and he is uh, it, it, he, it is felt that he is, you know, due. Owed. And, uh, due. Yep. And Martin sure. Scorsese for Best Director? No, I think I think Nolan's probably going to win Best All Director. All right. We'll see. Sonny Bunch on X, also across the movie aisle. And The Bulwark goes to the movie. Great podcast. Thank you, Sonny Bunch. I'll be right back, America. Stay tuned. Right now by the Poet Laureate of The Hugh Hewitt Show. Hello, Joe. Good morning, Hugh. Uh, I feel for your throat, since uh, my throat was a festival of uh, a gravel a couple of weeks ago. I think I'm I'm over it, and I know you will be soon. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll get right to the phone, then. <laughs> Let not your hearts be troubled by crises, small and large. The country's in the best of hands. The adults are in charge. The huh. world is full of powder kegs. We hear the fuses hissing. But don't call on the Pentagon, the secretary's missing. I've had my share of surgeries, required an elective. I think that I can see things through that gentleman's perspective. That kind of stress is, is rough, with filled with errors and forgettings. Is there no out-of-office box on .gov email settings? The doors and airplanes are installed not in the way they ought. The FAA says that's okay, just don't fly over water. Janet Yellen's conference, she tells us with a grin, inflation's a bit better than the worst it's ever been. When DHS changed policy and left the border porous, New York and Chicago sang the sanctuary chorus. Now those cities' mayors whine, the migrants' cost will break them. We welcome all with open arms, but border states should take them. We have to take Joe Biden just the way we found him, but a president is measured by the people who surround him. Ask them about policy. They all have no idea. I've seen a better cabinet on closeout at Ikea. That's all the president's men and women by Tarzana Joe. Yes, President Bumble is not known for his personnel selection. Joe, you do the promos because my voice is shot. Where can they find it and where can they get a poem (laughs) from you? Okay, if you're looking for a personal poem for your family or loved one, just contact me at TarzanaJoe at Reagan.com or go to the website, TarzanaJoe.com. The the order should go to TarzanaJoe at Reagan.com. If you want to read the poem you just heard, that's at TarzanaJoe.com, and it has a button, order a poem. Am I right about that? That's correct. Just click on the I Want a Poem link. I, I Want a Poem link. I will be back. At 100% voice next week, Joe, as will Joe. Thank you, Joe. I mean, I think I'm going to be back at 100% voice. I will be yelling at the TV, though, tomorrow, 1.30 Eastern, as the Cleveland Browns begin their march to the Super Bowl. I've said it many times. The Lions have never been to the Super Bowl, and the Browns have never been to the Super Bowl. The Browns won the last NFL championship before the the first Super Bowl. So if it's a Brown-Lions Super Bowl, it might be the end times. The halftime show might be Jesus coming back if it's the Browns lion, but I think the Browns are getting there gold this morning. want to bring you our market update brought to you by AmericanFederal.com. If you're going to buy gold this weekend, Nick Grovich and the gang, they're the people that you buy gold through. I want to make sure I give you the correct phone number. 800-221-7694. 800-221-7694. Gold jumped $31 an ounce yesterday. It's at $2,050 an ounce. So I'm just telling you to buy 
Eagles, uh, Maple Leaves, or Kruger Ends, because I'm not a, co- a coin collector. If you want to sell a coin collection or, you want, or you're a nuministics hobbyist, Nick is a good guy to know. They're very good at that. But he's straightforward. It's Here's the price. Here's my commission. This is what it'll cost. Send me your money. I'll send you your gold. It gets done. And Nick has been doing this with Dennis Baber for so many years. I was so jealous because it's, it's the price of gold is X. This is how much an ounce costs, a half ounce, a quarter ounce. You know, the commissions go up. Interesting. The, the less gold you buy because they got to make the place run. But it's just straight commission like gasoline. Only some people are buying gold because it's the, the economy. Inflation is still there. 3.4% last month. And everything gets more expensive under Bionomics. And people are now running up their credit cards. And I can't tell. I don't tell people what to do. But if you're buying gold, go to Nick Grovich. You can trust him. 800-221-7694. 800-221-7694. It's, it's as simple as that. Keep in mind that the aviators over Yemen and the ships firing the Tomahawk missiles to protect shipping are at risk. Keep the American service members on the ground and under attack by Iraqi uh, militias organized by the Shia fanatics in Iran. And our friends in Israel are under attack. Pray for them all weekend long. And I'll be back. Hour number two, Ben Dominich. We'll talk about what this week did and did not. 4.2 million people watched Trump. 2.7 million people watched Haley and DeSantis. I think, boy, the writing is on the wall as far as I can see. But it's still possible. We'll see. Stay tuned. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.